Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. This week's show is the start of a series of candidate interviews for the provincial election in Northumberland, Peterborough South. The order is completely random based on when the various campaigns were able to book interviews. You will hear from incumbent David Pacini, the progressive conservative candidate. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Northumberland, Peterborough South, MPP, David Pacini, who is now candidate. David Pacini, welcome to Consider This. Yes, thanks for having me, Rob. Rather than getting you to go down a lengthy list of things you've accomplished over the past few years as MPP, because I know you will have a lot of those in your speeches and literature during the campaign. I want you to pick one thing, and I'm going to hold you to one thing, that you did not include, that you wish you had have included in your speeches and literature. One thing people will not see or hear over the next four weeks that you wish you had included. Hmm. That's a, that's a very interesting, you've got me here, Rob. That, that's a very interesting one. Um, I would say the, the broader, I would say the, the biggest piece for me would be some, the broader environmental accomplishments as minister, um, you know, cause it's, it's sort of province wide, but it's a role I hold that I know is near and dear to many, many hearts in our community. Um, I would say of that land protection, I would say is the broader piece and, and the three small pieces, O'Neill property, which increased by a third uh, with the support for the Nature Conservancy of Canada, the, the boreal wildlands, which, which isn't in our riding, Rob, but, you know, it would have been nice to include. It's the largest protection of uh, a forest, a private protection in, in Canada's history. And I joined Minister Gibo, my federal counterpart, uh, to announce that. So uh, for me, I'm, uh, you know, as an avid outdoorsman and someone that, that, that loves the outdoors, it's one I, you know, would have loved to have included. I could almost do an entire brochure on that alone. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing, but that's a great question. I've got to say a really good question, Rob. Uh, I know you talk to many people and again, let's not talk yeah. about everyone, but give me one, again, one example of an encounter with a constituent that almost moved you to tears? Uh, I don't need to think hard about this one. I was, uh, you know, often for the pictures that you see with politicians um, at events, what you don't see is the, is the sundown. It's, you know, picture the sun setting. It's, you know, it's a beautiful evening and it's, it's quiet. There's no pomp and circumstance around me exiting my MPP office. I was carrying my last box out, moving over to the campaign office, because of course now I'm situated here in the campaign office. 
And a woman approached me. Um, she was going to the pizza shop next to me. Great pizza, by the way. And uh, she said to me, um, she just came up and extended her hand and said, can I shake your hand? And I said, yes. And I shook her hand and she said, I just wanted to let me, you know, we've never met, but you helped my father when he was getting early onset dementia, get into, um, get into care, get him the care that he needed. And for me, Rob, I, you know, you see announcements, you see in the paper, we'll talk about the sort of big announcements, but I've often said uh, amidst the quiet of my own family's house or, or, or to my parents or my fiance, these are the things that for me uh, make this, it gives me the energy to get up the next day to work hard in this riding. It's the, it's the things that matter more to me than a multi-million dollar announcement. Um, hearing what that meant to her and having, you know, the, the, they'd had to call the police because her father had, had, had left and uh, left the house and sort of wandered off a number of times. And I remember that. And when she reminded me, I remember that incident. And so for me, Rob, I mean, when you get to help people, that's at its core what this job is about. And for me, that, uh, that I, almost, I almost cried when she, when she told me about it. He'd, of course, passed away shortly thereafter. And they were marking on that day, the one year anniversary of his passing. And uh, she just said, my husband and I talked about you today. And, and so I'm so glad I got to bump into you because I'd never actually met her. It was just over the phone because we were in the depths of the pandemic. What was the most frustrating aspect of being an MPP? Uh, the most frustrating would be when people uh, form opinions or or when they move from an issue debate to more of an ad hominem personal attack on issues. And folks who've never met me, never taken the time to call. I mean, we have a pretty sophisticated logbook that can track incoming calls. Um, and, you know, I, I'm far from perfect. I've missed the odd email without question. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I pride myself on trying to get back to people. I give out my my cell phone number quite often for people who need it. Uh, some, sometimes it's abused a bit um, and you have to strike that balance because, you know, I'm accessible, I'm young on all platforms of social media. So there's multiple ways for folks to get in touch with me. But um, for me, it's just someone who's not wanted to take the time or who will take a personal attack or the kind of the, go the gotcha politics. And and, and why this isn't about me, I, I think this is a broader phenomenon and it's a race to the bottom, which actually won't serve us as a society well, because we, um, if, we're, if we're in a race to the bottom, good people won't want to run for politics. What's the best thing about being an MPP? The best thing's been the people learning every day. I love getting out each and every day. So... Um, you know, one of the key uh, key hallmarks of, of what we're running on is is building the infrastructure Ontario needs to succeed. So whether it's uh, being, you know, visiting the water staff at, at Lake, uh, you know, Lakefront Utilities, whether it's uh, being on farm, uh, supporting on farm diversification or through the um, through the Agri Agritech Innovation Fund, uh, supporting new equipment and getting to see it in, in practice. Or, uh, or, or the infrastructure for better roads, bridges, highways, et cetera, uh, getting out uh, with, with a team, doing the construction, talking with the workers. So for me, every day is new, no day is the same, and I get out and learn and meet people. And for me, without question, that's the best part of the job. There are a number of new pieces of legislation that have been passed recently impacting municipal planning. 
The changes to protecting environmentally sensitive lands, endangered species are just some examples. More recently, the Center for Realty Excellence and Bill 109, the More Homes for Everyone Act. Some critics may look at this and say, your government is making a developer's life easier and at the same time taking away local control of planning. How would you respond to those critics? Oh, well, it's just not true. Uh, the, what, what we saw the previous government wreak havoc with local planning when they were force feeding down the throats of municipalities, uh, massive uh, you know, energy projects that locked us into terrible deals. It was probably one of the most criminal things we've seen uh, in modern history in Ontario. So uh, that, that bypassed the municipal planning process completely. Uh, nothing, uh, even, uh, you know, even nothing we're doing bypasses the municipal planning process. It's a critical component. And when I became environment minister and we worked with conservation authorities, there are some Puritans who will say, we don't want to talk to a developer. We don't want to talk to a trades a men or woman. We know what's best. They have no place in this discussion. I respectfully disagree. I think the best way to get good dialogue is to get everybody in a room and uh, for everybody to hear their perspectives. And don't take my word for that. Uh, reach out to Hassan Bassett, Rob Baldwin, a number, uh, Linda, who, you know, and others who've participated in our Conservation Authority Working Group will tell you that, you know, this is so, it's a strong way to get all perspectives at a table and to identify. I think everybody understands we have an affordability crisis in this province and in this country. We need more affordable housing. And we want to remove needless barriers uh, that are that are putting Ontario at a fundamentally less competitive position. So for me, uh, you know, we have more housing starts today than any time in the last 30 years. The collaborative work we're doing together uh, is working. Having an umbrella under which we look at realty disposition of provincial land, we're getting it done. I mean, this is land that's been sitting idly. Uh, so, you know, having a, a, a streamlined umbrella under which we do that uh, is, is good policy. And um, as far as endangered species and others go, I mean, I, I would say back to those, we have the, the, the committee now, which is, um, which is a, our special committee for endangered species, which is, which is what developers pay into, um, which, which informs species at risk projects led by conservationists, led by the experts, instead of developers. The way it used to be in this province was we, you would saddle any developer, whether it's a, a single family dwelling or whether it's a larger development that includes multiple, um, you know, 1,500 homes, they would be saddled with the conditions under which they operate, uh, be it, um, you know, a remediation or be it a conditional benefit permit, whatever the various permits were. Now, these aren't anything new to our government. They existed under the previous Liberal government under the NDP government in Ontario, uh, we've said, let's put conservation in the hands of conservationists and not saddling uh, you know, a husband and wife or, or a developer to a 20 year condition uh, that, that they're unable to meet because they don't have the core competencies in that. So I, I think and uh, we're going to see a far better outcomes when this is in the hands of the experts. Well, I, I know that for example, Mayor Bob Sanderson in Port Hope sent out a press release uh, recently um, reiterating their concerns about how the, the handling of the purchase of the Wesleyville lands. And um, I think if you were to talk to anybody, in, uh, at least in Port Hope Town Hall or uh, even some residents, well, it would say that 
you know, the Senate, the, the way things were handled with Wesleyville was overreaching and and uh, was ignoring local concerns. I, I don't know. How do you how do you justify that? Because they they still feel like you are uh, getting in the way of of local control and um, honoring a deal that was two years in the making. Yeah, I mean, look, where we share in the common goal, where we where we differ is timelines and an actual credible plan to get it done. And I think uh, we want to work together to achieve uh, common outcomes. And uh, we share, as I said, the common goals. This is when, um, you know, when facts of the agreement are that, uh, you know, and out of no fault of their own, these are two ships moving in the night uh, together, the Center of Realty Excellence. Um, and what the province or what the municipality, I should say, was doing with an agency of government. Ultimately, we're accountable for agencies of government. And when, a, when one seeks to finance that using a backstopped by a provincial loan, I think it's understandable that the province would have a look at that and the province would want to apply the most recent legislation to that. And again, we're working together. We share a common uh, outlook and we share common goals. And I think when we look uh, to some of the, the things I want to achieve there, I want to see, um, you know, per, the protected area protected forever under the Provincial Parks and Conservation Reserve Act or the PPCRA, which is our strongest tool as a province to protect uh, significant wetlands, uh, significant environmental features. Um, you know, municipalities don't have those tools. So I think uh, what Bob said to me recently, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm sure he's uh, shared the same with you and others is that uh, he understands that we'll, we'll be able to better achieve our, our common goals working together. But Bill 109, the More Homes for Everyone Act, that, you know, one could say is removing red tape. But at the same time, I mean, planners are concerned that um, you're trying to rush things through. You're going to have a penalty if you don't, if the municipality doesn't uh, get the plans uh, approved within a certain time frame. Uh, you're also giving a standardized list of documentation that developers are going to be putting forward. And, and they're concerned, these planners are concerned that uh, you're removing uh, the ability of lo local control to be able to say, look, this is what we need here and to recognize the unique circumstances within each, each municipality. And there's really no guarantee that there's going to be affordable homes or, you know, and just somebody's not going to just come in and rush through and all we're going to end up with this is you know, executive single family dwellings. How do you well, respond to that? We have to, we have to decouple common sense from, from sort of the uniqueness uh, around Ontario. Asking uh, people in, in the business of, of secondary units, affordable housing, tiny homes, etc. there's got to be consistency in sort of various hurdles one has to jump. Saying uh, that, you know, what we hear from simple things like putting in a tiny home, you've got massive discrepancies within our own county. Rob, the, the husband and wife trying to put in a tiny home like a gentleman I just spoke to yesterday at the door who's trying to do it for a, 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 a you know, a child who's living with a disability trying to make sure that that parent, whether they're doing it in Port Hope or whether they're doing it in Brighton, has a common look and feel. I don't dispute the fact that you're right. If you're doing something in Port Hope in a specific area that has certain features, of course, nobody disputes that. 
But the process up until maybe that point should be common. Uh, the things that one has to do, the fact that I have e-permitting in one community and I have to send a, a fee by what, carrier pigeon or cash in another municipality for payment of, of permits. Again, we're not saying that fees will, will differ. What we're saying is have a common look and feel on how to pay the bloody thing. I mean, come on. It's the fact that for my alternative dwelling unit, and I'll give you a very personal example. We were looking at installing a granny flat, my fiance's primary caregiver for her grandmother. It took six months to get the permit. Um, for most families who are dealing with loved ones who want to prolong the family environment or the stay at home before maybe early onset dementia, familiarity is the biggest piece to support aging in place. When it takes six months, because we've got people at the municipality who uh, things exist on the bottom of, of stacks on desks because we haven't embraced uh, elect electronic uh, sharing of information and people can't go online. If I can find out the steps in, you know, in making a pizza online and when that's going to arrive, don't tell me we can't s something. I know it's an oversimplification, but we can't have some sort of online mechanism through which I could track a permit application. And this is what is the backlogs. Um, people have to stop being concerned over the, you know, their own immediate fiefdoms and start working together for common objectives to ensure that we have affordable housing in this community. And we make no apologies in working with all partners, including municipalities, who are a very important partner to achieve those, those common objectives. And, and I think, again, you know, in pursuing, uh, embracing a digital uh, ultra, digital technology, embracing e-permitting, things like that, um, you know, this is, we're helping municipalities in doing it. We're, you know, Norwood has been a recipient of municipal modernization fund. So one can't say the province isn't extending an olive branch to help do it together um, in this process. And, and we're getting valuable feedback through AMO and other organizations like that. Many county residents have watched you and your fellow MPPs across the province make a litany of announcements regarding all kinds of funding from healthcare to police to internet, you name it. Mm -hmm. Maybe some people listening who are saying to themselves, you know, yeah. they're spending all this money, giving all these breaks, and then once the election's over, the other shoe's going to drop, and then suddenly the cover's going to be bare. We're all going to see cuts to programs, service cuts, all kinds of changes that will not have been announced during the election. So balanced budgets will take place in the name of fiscal responsibility. What can you say to those people who are worried all these voter-friendly announcements are precursors to pain after the election? Well, I would say anybody who's spent any uh, remote attention to, uh, and just check my social media feeds since from day one, I fought for our community to bring in investments and announcements. Uh, of course, around election time, people uh, who, who start shifting their gears more to politics and maybe don't pay as much attention under normal circumstances will look and say, oh, it's the goodies. I, I get that. Rob, I, I, you know, I, I get that. I'm not going to say, um, you know, I think what they don't hear and, and what is important is for the broadband announcement. We were ready to make that announcement six months ago. We were working with the federal government through the UBF fund, the Universal Broadband Fund, to make sure that there was no overlap in, in terms of projects we were funding in our community. 
that's important work. I'm not going to sit here and slag the feds. I'm not going to sit here and slag anybody. I'm just going to say they're doing their due diligence. We're working together. I, I raised this at cabinet. I raised it with my federal counterpart, Minister Gibo. I raised it with Minister LeBlanc and others. They listened. They, they were doing their due diligence. I learned something about what they were doing that I didn't know. They learned from us that we had a project in Northumberland that was going to connect everybody by 2024, and we couldn't waste uh, a summer, fall construction season. So I, I get it. Uh, on the go announcement, what people didn't hear was the fact that the province months ago came to bear with a quarter million dollars and through negotiations ended up where we were with the data sharing agreement to bring in go service. We were looking at a fixed stop with a bus. County is embracing an on-demand model that has been proven successful in other jurisdictions. And it's a collaborative effort together. So that's what people don't see. And, and again, I mean, I made this announcement in Codrington where we had a broadband round table in 2019. And what's really refreshing for me is scrolling through the comments. Of course, there's going to be some haters. I always get those. But seeing people who said, you know, Dave, I was there in 2019 when you had that round table and you've delivered. And if I think back to where we were as a community, we had no community paramedicine, no rural outreach health clinics. Um, we weren't training nurses with standalone training in our community. All of that in healthcare, we got it done. We're doing that now. We had no broadband connectivity, cell phone blackouts. We got it done. We had no service into the Go network. We got it done. I'm incredibly proud of my record, proud of, of, of working with municipalities. And I think it's, we've had some monumental achievements uh, that, that, you know, uh, that we could have seen in the last 15 years. We didn't. We did now. We've got it done. If there's one theme that is going to be dominant in this election, it's going to be affordability. Yes. You know, people are facing an inflationary economy where their dollars are buying less and the cost of everything is going through the roof. Now, your government has taken a number of steps to make life more affordable. They refunded license fees, for example, and there's lots of other examples. But what about those at the lower end of the financial spectrum? Now, you, your government has increased minimum wage to $15.50 an hour, yet most places, a living wage is much higher than that. Why did you not increase the minimum wage so people can afford to live in Ontario? Well, I think it's, uh, an, it's a never-ending uh, prophecy when you, if you say food's going up, cost of traveling is going up, all of these things are going up without asking the question why and just saying, well, let's just raise it here and then it raise it there. I mean, bottom line, I speak to any Canadian tire, home hardware dealer in our community, uh, you know, if you put up their costs overnight by 30%, which is what the previous government proposed to do, um, they will raise their costs on the consumer. So then you'll be asking me six months later, you know, price of everything's gone up, Dave, give people... Uh, more money and uh, an increase in minimum wage. And I think what people wanted to see was predictability. Um, so, uh, you know, I know perhaps government struggles in planning, uh, but, but businesses, small businesses, shopkeepers in our community don't. They plan three, five, 10 year cycles out. And so uh, they deserve a government that works with them in that process. And that's what we're doing. And I think these affordability issues, Rob, I'm not going to stand here and say it's unique only to Ontario. Without question, we see it across Canada. We see it across the globe in the wake of a global pandemic. But I think when you look at 
certain policies uh, that, that, that only exacerbate and contribute to that. It's our job as public policymakers to examine that. We wanna make sure that we're not needlessly through red tape or through um, multiple gatekeepers to jump, making the cost of affordable housing that much more expensive. Uh, so we're working collaboratively to address that. For uh, simple things like getting to work, uh, we've said, yeah, we're, gonna, we're going to reduce the toll, we're gonna remove the tolls, I should say, on the 412 and the 418, the only north-south tolls. Um, and I think this is a stark contrast. People have a choice between, do we go back to a government that increased your driver's license fees, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, or, or, do, you, or, or do you work with a, with a collaborative government that is looking at ways to make your life more affordable and put more money back in your pocket? And the, the bottom line is the reality and the record of the previous Liberal government was they never met an Ontarian that they didn't want to increase their taxes. They didn't never met an Ontarian that they didn't want to increase the cost of day-to-day -day lives. I love fishing. They didn't even leave grandfathers and grandkids out when they increased uh, fishing and hunting fees. I mean, this is, this is, this is insane. And but th these so are, these are specific things, but David, we're talking about minimum wage. We're talking about so many people, the only job they can get is a part-time minimum wage job. And that doesn't even come close to, co to the cost of living. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, when you talk about inflation and how it happens, you know, if it costs more for a business, they up their prices and, and then we get that upward spiral, which causes inflation. But at the same time, people are struggling right now because they can't get full-time jobs. They're not making enough money. And I'm talking about people at the lower end. What are you doing for those and people say on, on disability payments that are so struggling let's, let's just to pay that. the rent and, and to, to eat? Yeah, let's look at someone. So I've spoken to many in our community who live, uh, as I did, uh, you know, when graduating school and paying through school, uh, I sliced deli meats to get through. And, uh, you know, let's look for folks I speak to. When we reduce the cost of gas, it matters to them every day in getting to work because they drive to work. That matters. When we reduce the costs of their extracurricular activities on weekends, hunting, fishing, when we reduce the costs of their travel on the north-south highways, that matters to them. When we look at bigger paychecks, a big uh, hallmark, a tenet of, of what our government's running on, and we say to them, we're going to give you $20,000 to retrain so that you can equip yourselves with the skill sets to get bigger paychecks, it matters to them. Um, you know, and we didn't see that in the past. We launched micro-credentials. We've, we've launched a whole you know, a whole new lifestyle where someone can earn while they learn. This never existed with the previous government. Micro-credentials and stackable credentials uh, where, where one can learn at their own pace to get bigger paychecks. We're funding it. It's OSAP eligible. These are all things that matter. And, and with the small day-to-day -day costs, costs of food, costs of gas, um, costs to drive on certain roads, again, we're putting more money back into people's pockets. And these things matter. There are others who think the only way to, to deal with this, and I'm sort of getting from your question that you might prescribe to bigger government, uh, bigger government programming and bigger government answers. And I think this is a moral and philosophical line where I just would respectfully disagree. I think uh, that when we unleash the talent that is Ontarians, when we support them in unleashing their ingenuity, and when we get government out of the way, that's when Ontarians thrive. That's when Ontarians succeed. 
And I'm proud to be part of a government that's doing that. It's not what I prescribe to, it's what others say. So no, I'll make question. that clear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your, your yeah. government has given unprecedented financial support to local hospitals, long-term care and healthcare. And in fact, uh, Northumberland was one of the first writings to be approved to create the Ontario Health Team. You've also yes. spent a lot of money training personal support workers. Now, what about staff, nurses and doctors, you know, to, that have been, you know, giving all this care, but there's all going to be all this new spaces created, all this expansion taking place. How are we going to fill those spaces? I understand right now there are openings for about 22,000 nurses right now. How are you going to fill those? How are you going to fill those spaces and keep doctors in Ontario? That's an excellent question. I think the very question of there's all of these new spaces, there's all of this expansion acknowledges the fact that the government has at a historic rate been building new hospitals, expanding seats, which I appreciate because it, you know, it's the first time we've seen a nursing seat expansion in 30 years uh, when we expanded fu fully funded nursing seats in the province of Ontario. Uh, one of the reasons I got involved was, uh, was when the previous government was cutting residency positions for doctors. I worked for the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada and saw the detrimental effects that, that was having. We've expanded nursing seats. So let's look at Queens, for example, because I want to localize this. Queens has 20 new residency spots. I had Dr. Philpot, Jane Philpot, their dean here. They're doing innovative placements, like getting first and second year trainees into a rural setting. And what we're asking from the, the trainers, the Campbellford Memorial Hospitals, the NHHs of the world, we're saying, let's identify this young talent and let's keep them in a rural setting. There are some who might want to work in a more tertiary a city centre. That's fine. But we owe it to unlock every potential to train folks in a rural setting so that they can stay. And I, I also think when we work with partners like Loyalists to give them standalone a nursing degree, um, that matters. So before nurses training used to have to go to universities, traditionally in more urban centers, where they would then complete their training, and then they would stay and we would lose them. So now Loyalist has standalone nursing, they've got a state of the art sim center. Those nurses are staying in rural Ontario, the PSW challenge fund has meant 16,000 more PSWs, we're training 1000s of more nurses a year. I would love it if, uh, if we could churn out a healthcare professional the way they do on Star Trek, um, you know, overnight, but that's not going to happen. Uh, it takes time and we have to train them. And I think we're working with colleges, universities to do that. We're increasing the funding for the seats to train these healthcare professionals and also saying that they deserve modern and safe spaces. It's not going to happen overnight, Rob. We've got a lot more work to do. You and I have spoken at length, um, you know, you've, you've rightly brought to light some of the systemic challenges over the past years that COVID has exacerbated. And I think we've got to work together to address this. And, uh, you know, there's no bad ideas. We're, we're trying to uh, unlock potentials upstream by funding community paramedicine, funding rural health outreach clinics, by funding MHART. You mentioned the policing grant, where we embed healthcare professionals to support people in the city at their homes where they live, rather than wait until they're in crisis in the emergency department. So, uh, you know, at, at every step, I've tried to listen. 
I've tried to work with community partners to bring in the funding that we need. And at every step, I've been matched by a premier who's been open-minded to all of this, who's listened to the professionals and who supported them in doing this. We live in a time where there is very divisive politics. There's a lot of negativity we see in the legislature. We watch attack ads. And some people may wonder, whatever happened to civility in politics? Can you name one policy or one idea put forward by the NDP or the Liberals that you would support? Oh, yes, the breathing specific legislation, Sherry DeNovo. Um, you know, they're targeting the wrong end of the leash with the Dog Owners Liability Act. So I'm an avid, uh, you know, I love animals and uh, specifically dogs. I have two of my own and I worked closely with them on that. Um, you know, and it's often maybe not a policy so much as where I think we can work together, Rob, is on the ideas. I think we all agree that uh, dignity in aging is important. We might disagree on how to get there, but I think the opposition challenge us and offer ideas, some of which is taken at committee process. Uh, and in many respects, they bring forward private members bills, which, which we have passed at a historic rate. There's no government that's passed as many opposition PMBs in modern history as we have uh, in, our, in our short four years here. Um, you know, and I think that'll continue second term. So I, you know, I, I've enjoyed working many, uh, I'm friends, you don't see that in question period after we'll go over, someone will come over and say, uh, you know, Dave, the, the Kakabeka Falls uh, run, can you work with your Ontario parks to make it happen? And I'll call them, and I'll go up there and I'll, I'll be at the launch of the race and you won't see this in mainstream. I think more uh, local journalism like yours covers this where I'm at the announcement and I acknowledge the NDP member and thank her for her advocacy in helping us work this out. So these are things people often don't see, but you know, I, I, I think in this campaign for me, uh, without question, I will contrast what happened under previous governments and, and where we've, we've turned a corner or where we've sought a different path forward, I think that's important. People deserve to know. What you won't see me doing, I'm not gonna be negatively going after the candidates or, or, or any of them. I respect anybody who puts their name on a ballot. I respect my opponents. I gather we now have candidates for all major parties running in our riding. I respect them. I'm looking forward to uh, to debating them on the campaign trail and to contrasting our ideas. But at the end of the day, what we all share is a desire to serve our public, a desire to see a better community. We differ in how we get there, but I think we need to restore more civility in the debate. And, uh, you know, last night I, I was duking it out with two NDPers on their, on their doorstep, but we smiled and we talked about, you know, ideas and we agreed that should I win again, they're coming in for coffee and we're going to sit and talk about long-term care. So at its core, you know, and I've tried to lead by example my last four years by having an open door to people who challenge me. To finish, tell me one thing you are passionate about, a hobby, a guilty pleasure, an activity that has nothing to do with politics. Oh, cooking. Love to cook. Uh, I wanted to start Puccini's Paninis before I went into politics. I'd had a business plan. I'd actually sat down with my father I was, uh, you know, early in my professional career, I didn't have the savings because I was paying off uh, some debt from university and uh, rent, et cetera, living, you know, the, 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 the life of someone in their mid, mid to late 20s. And I, I had this vision um, when I worked at Place de Portage uh, to, to start a, a sandwich shop. 
that has spiraled. I've learned it from my mom, my Nana, uh, from my dad's uh, family as well, my grandparents, and I love to cook. And, you know, um, for me, I think maybe in retirement or one day I'll open a restaurant or something because I love to cook. I love Italian cuisine. I love the cuisine of the world, actually. I am a, a self-proclaimed foodie. And uh, I, you know, I even on my spare time, nothing to do with politics, but do try and, uh, you know, you do uh, various dinners and support in that chair and that love uh, to raise funds for for important causes in our community. But uh, love to cook your, you know, it's actually when I'm most relaxed, if I need to decompress from a day at work, I go and cook and love, love, love to cook. And risotto is probably my my signature dish. David Pacini, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you very much for having me, Rob. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. That was David Pacini, the Progressive Conservative candidate. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.